0: Oh yes, it, they went down the ground. This could be six as well. It's a biggie. It's a huge six. Straight down the ground, almost into the dressing room, and that tells the story. What an innings this is! What our units has been slaughtered. Couch talk. Welcome to Couch Talk. Today's guest is the cricket reporter for uh, Crick Info and uh, Dream Cricket, Peter Delapena. We'll be talking about the recently held T20s between West Indies and New Zealand in Florida, and how they compare to the ones held in uh, 2010. The uh, short-term and long-term impact on the growth of cricket in the US, amongst other things. Welcome to the show again, Peter.
1: Thank you for having me, Subhash. It's it's good to be back.
0: Well, my pleasure. You reported on uh, the T20s between Sri Lanka and New Zealand in uh, 2010 that was held in Lauder Hill, Florida, as well as the ones recently between West Indies and New Zealand. How do these two events compare in terms of uh, attendance, the general media awareness you know, within Florida and U.S. nationally, and uh, general announcements in the area, etc.?
1: Well, from a fan perspective, it was night and day. Two years ago, the atmosphere was very dull. You had a total combined attendance across the two days of 8,600 people. They had about this weekend. I still have not been able to get my hands on official attendance figures, but I think the general consensus is that there was probably about twenty-seven, twenty-eight thousand 28,000 people for the weekend. The West Indies had a tremendous amount to do with that. The fact that Sri Lanka and New Zealand two years ago aren't really... Two teams with a heck of a lot of box office appeal, as well as they don't have too many uh, residents from the diaspora living in the U.S. compared to the West Indies. The West Indies, especially with South Florida residents in particular, you have a lot of Jamaican expats. You have a lot of expats from Trinidad and Tobago, as well as Guyana. Uh, there was a lot of energy. It was very, very vibrant, much more lively than it was two years ago. And everybody who watched the series, of course, the action on the field, the pitch was much improved. The ball was coming onto the bat. It wasn't the case two years ago. West Indies produced record total in the first match. There were just sixes left in right. Chris Gale and Kyron Pollard hit five sixes each on Saturday. And it was very fun from that perspective for the fans. I know just looking around, snapping pictures, talking to people when I was and uh, taking some time in the innings break to walk through the crowds and just c- try and talk to me with people and get their opinions. Everybody was having a great time. Now, mm-hmm. from the media perspective, especially the local media, it w- wasn't really anything different from two years ago, which is to say there was hardly any interest. Mm-hmm. I know there was a guy from the Miami Herald who was there. I did not really see any local um, news crews on the days of the matches, I did remember seeing one report on TV in the lead-up to the matches, which is a sign that things still have a long way to go in terms of media exposure, both locally in Florida and, and just across the U.S. in general. And
0: I remember you mentioning to me in an earlier conversation that in two, 2010 there were not even signs leading up to the stadium that there is going to be an international match there how was it from that point of view
1: was there nothing changed in that regard demonstrate that there would be a cricket match of international standard there that weekend there was nothing to be seen and driving up and down route 95 on my way to and from the stadium each day whether it was um going north or south or coming from the airport or wherever there was nothing on the roadside no billboards Nothing once you got off the highway. And I did see if you wandered into some of the local Caribbean food shops and general stores that catered to the West Indian community, they would have some posters and some kind of little three by five flyers. There was, there was no, nothing else besides that. On the same
0: similar note, you know, there was no coverage uh, of the cricket action on the traditional outlets, cricket outlets, you know, which is either uh, ESPN3.com or uh, Willow TV. Neither of them carried the cricket. The only way you could have act- could have had access to the live action was either you be at the ground or you had a dish and you had subscription to uh, 10 Cricket USA or, you know, you were willing to anger Giles Clark and watch it on shady streams.
1: Yeah, I I've talked with some people and they kind of made the excuse that, well, there were broadcast rights issues, Well, some of the media might understand that, but the fans not only don't understand, they don't care. They just care and they know that the match was not shown in the USA, and that's Mm -hmm. the bottom line. And that needs to be fixed by any means necessary if you're going to take this game to the U.S. market. This
0: seemed to be a product that was primarily catered for the local Caribbean population of South Florida, right? Yes. And then there was this news from the Guyanese president, Donald Ramatar, he called this an abomination because they took certain key games from the Caribbean region, you know, from Guyana and other islands. How does that play into the hosting of you know, internationals in the USA in the future?
1: I talked to Lance Gibbs and Lawrence Rowe about this. I asked them that question uh, specifically that Donald Ramatar had said prior to the series that this was a slap in the face to the Caribbean because there was a lot of money that was invested for the 2007 World Cup on stadium building and stadium renovation and stadium upgrades. And they're not really going to see a return on that investment if the prime source of generating income to, to get money back is 2020 cricket and those 2020 Matches that are part of a tour are being given to the United States. And so I think there are some people who would be definitely sympathetic to that. Talking to Lance Gibbs and Lawrence Rowe, their argument was that this is going to be a good source of revenue for the West Indies. And they specifically said, for example, In Guyana, the Guyanese dollar is very poor right now. Two hundred Guyanese dollars equals one U.S. dollar. Mm -hmm. Whatever they're putting the tickets on sale at, if they put the tickets on sale at three hundred Guyanese dollars, well, that only equals a dollar fifty U.S. And you know, the ICC, as far as I know, when they make their disbursements for giving revenue to the full member nations, that's all paid out in U.S. dollars. So uh, if you're only generating $1.50 per ticket at a 2020 match compared to $20 a ticket or $30 a ticket for a reserve seat in Florida or $65 a ticket for the party stand or $125 a ticket for the VIP stand, mm-hmm. it makes a hell of a lot more financial sense to play that game in Florida.
0: So that brings us to the question, what is the short-term and the long-term impact of such events on the overall growth of cricket in the U.S., this, now, there are a couple of questions. One from Terry Coffey: How can the U.S. U.S. cricket build on this? And so, how much of it is actually going to go, going to get invested into U.S. cricket development? There is the other view of uh, Jamie Harrison, who is the president of U.S. Youth Cricket Association, who strongly believes in the bottom-up approach. Uh, the grassroots level approach, he had put a tweet out saying, the players are off to the next gig, the media have filed their stories, and the crowds have all gone home. Mission accomplished. Now what? Give me a sense of both the short-term impact and the long-term vision for U.S. cricket coming out of these isolated events.
1: Well, I think for the short-term impact, it's a very, 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 very short-term impact, which is basically limited to the days of the event itself. I mean, they can hang their hat on the fact that twenty-seven, twenty-eight thousand 28,000 people showed up into the stadium that was physically located in Florida and hooray for U.S. cricket. We had 28,000 people show up over two days to a stadium located in Florida. Mm. Does that have any impact on U.S. cricket? No, plain and simple. Vina party, who wrote an article that was up a few weeks ago on dreamcricket.com said what I think a lot of people have known for a while, that um, if you look at the figures for pay-per-view, things through Willow TV and Dish Network and DirecTV, and you look at the data that shows readership and viewership for sites like Crick Info, USA has, at least on Crick Info, the number two number of web hits on, on that uh, site, second behind India. Uh, the US provides the second most traffic. So, on face value, you'd say, Oh, there's so many f- fans of cricket in the US. Well, yes, there are millions and millions of cricket fans in the US, but they're not fans of US cricket. There's a very important distinction to make mm-hmm. there. These fans are all allied to. Indian cricket or Pakistani cricket or Australian cricket, English cricket, West Indian cricket, whatever. 90% of the people who provide the traffic from the United States to cricket info probably couldn't tell you who was the captain of the U S team in March at the world 2020 qualifier in Dubai. Okay. Two years ago, when there were these, uh, New Zealand and Sri Lanka T20 matches, they also did kind of a double header where they had, Jamaica play the USA as kind of like a double feature, mm-hmm. and when the Jamaica USA matches were going on, there might have been eight hundred people in the ground. And then by the time the New Zealand Sri Lanka matches rolled around, then it got to about four or five thousand. At the by the time the first ball was bowled, and then people filled in to, to make up the final figures after, so people. Who, and that was, that was part of the ticket. You didn't have to pay anything extra to go see the USA. Okay. So this is your national team, the national team that's, that's in the country you're living in or that's representing you. And these people had absolutely, and this is a very rare opportunity to see the national team because the majority of the US teams tournaments are played overseas. I think, uh, 12 of the last 14 tournaments that USA has participated in whether it's at the under-19 level or the women's uh, cricket or senior men's cricket, 12 of the last 14 part, uh, tournaments have been overseas. So it was very rare to be able to get an opportunity to see a U.S. team play on U.S. soil. And there was that opportunity, and nobody cared. So uh, having the West Indies play New Zealand, does it do anything for U.S. cricket? No, especially if the matches aren't on TV to help generate casual interest um, nationwide and um, if you look at the iCC data that was released uh, sometime in the last month i mean it 's pretty pathetic to see where the u s a stands even among the associate countries mm-hmm. if you look at if you take a look at some of the other associate countries that are above the u s a for example a country like Namibia, Namibia has uh, seven hundred five registered adult players twenty four hundred five junior players ireland it's got 5000 plus senior players and they've got 8100 junior players okay mm-hmm. so there's a pretty big disparity between the the junior participation levels and the senior participa- participation levels as it should be that's how it is in any other sport youth sport in America. If you take a look at Pee Wee Ice Hockey or Little League Baseball or Pop Warner Football or youth soccer, the youth participation numbers dwarf the adult participation levels. Correct. And they have fantastic development programs, and then you see the cream of the crop rise up and become part of the national team or become part of a professional structure. In U.S. cricket, it's the exact opposite. You take a look at the U.S. figures, they had 16,680 adult Players registered in 2011. It's far and away more than any other uh, associate country that's above them. They had 750 junior players, hmm. which is disgraceful. Correct. When you weigh those two figures side by side,
0: so that's a so
1: that's senior, an
0: unsustainable model, basically.
1: You can't do that. I mean, the uh, I've said it to other people, and I'll, uh, I'll say it here: the current U.S. Uh, grassroots model is to let those grassroots grow in India or Pakistan or the West Indies. And once those roots have uh, matured and are coming up out of the soil, then those roots uproot themselves and move to the U.S. Mm-hmm. and become uh, players at the amateur level in the U.S. And that's the U.S. grassroots model. Till the U.S.A. gets away from that and actually commits itself to legitimate grassroots development program on U.S. soil, they're never going to properly develop into a cricketing force uh, on the global stage. So then
0: U.S. cricket should be following the model that Jamie Harrison uh, is a fierce supporter of, the grassroots bottom-up approach where you reach out to kids in elementary school, middle school, get them interested in cricket.
1: The only thing that distinguishes the U.S. team from, say, the Canadian team, is the number of H-1B visas that the U.S. government issues mm-hmm. to people from India or Pakistan or wherever to come work in the U.S. And if those people decide to choose to live in the U.S.A. instead of Canada, you know, so if the U.S. government is giving more visas, work visas than Canada is, that's the only thing that really determines the strength or weakness of the U.S. cricket team on a, on a broad scale. Which is, which is not the way it should be. You really need to commit yourself to developing players, just like every other country does. It needs to happen for the U.S. to become a legitimate cricketing country. Jamie's plan is probably the best way to accomplish that. Another way is to get Olympic exposure. You know, put cricket in the Olympics, but there's so many obstacles uh, to make that happen that that's not going to happen for probably a good. 20 to 30 years is unfortunate. The only way it can happen really is if some of the full member nations make some concessions. Cricket will get more exposure, more recognition, and you'll have kids in the U.S. who will see that opportunity to get a gold medal. Mm-hmm. And they won't, they won't care what sport it is. If you put a gold medal on the line, kids don't care if it's swimming or gymnastics or track and field or some other sports that are not of the four major sports in the U.S., that people care about constantly. you know, mm-hmm. The Summer Olympics is not all about USA basketball team and the Dream Team and getting a gold medal in, in men's basketball or women's basketball. There's so many other elements of the Summer Olympics that people care about in this country. People care about Michael Phelps. People care about Ryan Lochte mm-hmm. because they're representing the U.S. and they're going to try and get a gold medal, and they're probably going to win a gold medal. Mm-hmm. And then those guys get their faces on Wheaties boxes, okay? So if a kid who's grown up in this country can look at cricket on the Olympics where it's guaranteed to get exposure, regardless of of what sport it is. I mean, archery and and table tennis get airtime during the Olympics, okay? Mm -hmm. And if they can say to themselves, I want to win a gold medal for the USA and I think I can do that playing cricket, well, bang, you're going to get more kids interested in cricket that way. But that's going to take – there's going to have to be a little bit of of a give and take – from some of the other countries uh, to make that happen for cricket. It's not just because the USA wants it to happen. Yeah. There's going to have so many other countries to make that happen. I think that's one way to make cricket grow, uh, not just in the USA, but you know places like China, Russia, and other countries. But until that happens, Jamie's method is probably the best avenue to make things happen.
0: Fair enough. There's a question from listener Nicole. Do you believe the longer format of the game is marketable to the American audience.
1: Absolutely. What makes you think so? Well, I'm living proof of that.
0: <laughs> you, are <an laughs> ex- you are an exception, Peter.
1: No, I, I mean, I talked to the mayor in uh, Water Hill and his love affair with cricket began through going to see the West Indies play India in a test match. And I know from talking through other people firsthand and through communicating with people on Twitter, I mean, my experience getting into cricket and and just being consumed by the game was during the 2005 Ashes. And I know other people who had similar experiences during that series. I know people who became consumed and fell in love with cricket because they were in a bar on a visit to England during the first test in Wales in 2009. And something about watching Monty Panesar and James Anderson bat made them captivated and want to watch more cricket. And uh, you have people who've had travel experiences to India. They get into that atmosphere and they appreciate cricket for the professional sport that it is, that it's just as professional and legitimate as the four major sports in this country. So if you think to yourself and you conceptualize a sport can only be legitimate or you you only really want to take a sport seriously if – there are huge crowds and a, a big time atmosphere associated with it and you think to yourself oh, if i go to giant stadium and there's 80,000 fans right that's legitimate or if i go into yankee stadium and there's 50,000 fans right that's legitimate if you go to australia and there's 50,000 fans at the sydney cricket ground well that's legitimate if you go to india and there's 80,000 or 100,000 fans at eden gardens that's legitimate mm-hmm. people are used to people in south florida are used to going to a miami heat game where there's 18,000, 20,000 people cheering on LeBron James. If they go to that cricket match on Saturday and they see 15,000 people there and it's a vibrant atmosphere and it's a packed house, all of a sudden in their eyes, cricket is legitimate. So it can be 2020 cricket like it was this past weekend, but it can be one day cricket. It can be test cricket. The most important thing is to get them in the ground watching the match in-person live because I've never had anybody who's gone to a match in person not fall in love with cricket, whether it was at a local level or going to a big-time event.
0: To to address that point, right now you only have one international quality stadium in the U.S., which is in Florida. So they need to have proper... Top level uh, stadiums available in high density urban centers like in New York, New Jersey area, Los Angeles, um, or in Texas or in Chicago. Has there been any movement by US cricket to draw more public into watching cricket live? By US cricket? Yeah, of course. It has to be US cricket, right? No. But there is also this business arrangement with the New Zealand cricket about setting up a T20 league, right? So they're going to have to have international-level grounds to have right. a league like that. So, so there the, has to the be...
1: The legwork is going to have to be done by the New Zealand cricket portion of that arrangement. The the,
0: the business
1: and the the relationship building from uh, that standpoint is going to be on New Zealand cricket to affect that kind of change. I mean, about, because the uh, U.S. Cricket administration has proven over the last 46 years that they've been in existence as the USA Cricket Association, that they are completely inept and incapable of doing these things. You know, every time
0: I talk to you about U.S. cricket, uh, you know, I feel more disheartened than when I, where I began. Uh, but as an American cricket fan, as you are, do you, do you have reasons to
1: keep hope alive? I don't think you're referring to me as pessimistic, but, like... I, no, 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 I'm not. I hate coming off like that or being, like, a, a doom and gloom. Uh, but you have to face things with reality. I mean, I have talked with people about this who have said similar things. You know, In terms of U.S. cricket, all we read about is just bad news. And I tell them, if there's good news to report... I want to be first in line to write about it. If there's bad news to report, I want to be first in line to write about it. If there's news about U.S. cricket to report, I w- want to be first in line to write about it. It just so happens that over the course of recent history and even a little bit further back, there is more bad news that is uncovered and that needs to be written about than there is good news. If if somebody at a local level, government level, was ready to invest a few million dollars to uh carve out some land to c- build five turf pitches in Portland Maine i would be getting in my car and driving the 9 hours or 10 hours up to Portland Maine to to go meet this guy and do an interview with him uh if if there was a story about uh a player getting a contract to go play county cricket in England. Uh, first American player ever, or first American in however many years. I don't know if uh, John Barton King is counted in terms of <laughs> county cricketer way back at the turn of the, the 20th century. But, uh, you know, first American cricketer in, in several generations to be playing county cricket. Hey, I want to meet that guy and, and write a story about him and, and find out how we managed to... To, to secure that faith from whichever county wanted to sign him. I would love to be writing about these things. Uh, but Fortunately, this is not the material that, that comes out of the administration.
0: Do you have reasons to be hopeful in terms of what Jamie Harrison has been able to do and what New Zealand cricket may be able to bring to the United States in terms of a league and stuff like that?
1: Subhash, if you've seen the Shawshank Redemption, you know... <laughs> I'm going with this. Hope is a dangerous thing, my friend.
0: <laughs> but it's the best of things.
1: It's also the best of things, yes. And what is the rest of it? And no good thing. It dies. Dies. Die. There you go. I, like many other people in this country, and many and like many other people who take an interest in U.S. cricket affairs, would love nothing more than to see this league that is proposed to launch in 2012 and get underway and seminal moment in U.S. cricket. I would love to see this thing succeed and I would love to see it generate revenue so that it not only helps New Zealand cricket, but it also helps U.S. cricket at an administrative level. And it also helps U.S. cricket at a grassroots level so that some of this money could potentially get invested into junior programs. But it's an uphill battle. There have been other People who have tried to start up things on a smaller scale, that was pro cricket in 2004. There was another thing called Major League Cricket, I believe in either 2007 or 2008, that was attempted and uh, they put on a tournament, which if you read some of the reviews about that event, it was horribly organized, according to some people, and very typical of So many other U.S. cricket events in 2009, there were those press releases that came out saying that Jay Meir was going to start up the American Premier League. And they had Sir Richard Hadley as one of their chief advisors on board to add some name brand cachet and support behind it. And after their big grand press releases came out, nothing ever came of it. There is a heap of evidence that would suggest another attempt to start a 2020 league has the odds stacked against it. Mm -hmm. But uh, there is some hope that with another full member board hitching their wagon to this uh, initiative this time around, there is some hope that they might actually get their act together this time around. If they get things organized properly, it could take off if things don't take off in the first year, well, hopefully with New Zealand associated with it and with some of the investors that are being talked about associated with it, they'll ride out the storm for the first year because it most likely will not be profitable in the first year. And they need to be patient enough to ride things out uh, for a few years and give it a serious chance to make some progress and build up hopefully within five years they could see some returns on their investment. And hopefully within five years, the fans across the U.S. Uh, who are the expat fans will really come out and support it. And once that core group of expat fans really show some support for it, if they can then recruit, convince, and uh, proselytize some of the other people who are p- part of the broader community who might have a casual interest in cricket and lead them towards the cricket fields and the cricket stadiums in this country to turn them from a casual fan into a serious fan and get their sons and daughters playing cricket. That's how things might succeed, but it's not going to happen overnight. That's for sure. If it does happen at all.
0: All right. On that uh, positive note, thanks a lot for coming on the show, Peter. It's an absolute pleasure
1: talking to you again. The pleasure is all mine. Excellent. Thanks a lot.
0: Down the this could be six as well. It's a big game. It's a big six. Straight down the ground, almost into the dressing room. And that tells the story. What an innings this is. What are units has been slaughtered. Couch top.